Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Thank you so much for joining this episode of the Connection Loop podcast, sponsored by Dub. Today, I have with me Carlos. And Carlos and I are going to get into this topic that is so cool to me. In fact, my first job was in this field, which is product management. So this episode is all about the future of product management. Carlos, if you could start with a short intro, and then let's get into this. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I started product school seven years ago when product management wasn't really that cool. So I'm glad to hear that you've been building for a long time. And what's happening in the market is pretty crazy. Like we see a lot of companies, not just in tech, but in any industry that are investing more in offering their services or products online. More and more companies are also accepting remote work. And that means that uh, there is a need for product managers to be able to facilitate all of this. So now we're at a point where we can talk about the future and, we, and, and we've been creating a report every year. It's, it's absolutely free where we identify some of those trends. And what are some of the trends that you're noticing in product management? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's a lot of recognition. Now, if you, when we started the company, we do product management training. And at the very beginning, most of our students were asking, well, why do I need product management? What is product management? Now it's more about, hey, I know I want to be a PM. How can I become a great PM? What are my, my options? So we're seeing more and more companies hiring, which I think is very validating. The second thing is that those salaries are really high. If you look at the median salary in the US, you know that this is actually one of the highest paid jobs in, in the US with $159,000 per year. So it's really, really a good job. Obviously, it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it and means that, that... And that figure is in San Francisco. It's San Francisco, yeah. So we took that data from glassdoor.com. So that, that's one thing, that the validation from the, from the market... The second thing also is the actual impact of this role. We've seen that uh, around a third of the Fortune 500 companies already have a CPO at their company. That that CPO stands for Chief Product Officer. That's amazing because back in the day, product used to be a sub-function of marketing or technology. Now we have a seat at the table with direct report to the CEO. And in some cases, the CEO actually comes from a product background like yourself. Yeah. And there are a few other things that are supporting this trend. We're seeing more and more companies now saying that they are product-led, which is a huge deal. Because if you think about the traditional way of of selling, people have to go to a website, request a a call with a sales member, and then from there, get a demo, and then, you know, talk to the decision maker. But the decision maker sometimes is not the end user. So it was actually a long, heavy process. Now, more and more products are allowing the user to get value directly. An easy way to think about it is obviously the free trials or, or the or the freemium model, but it goes beyond that. It really goes about it's about showing the user the value of the product. A good example could be Slack. Like a lot of people use Slack for work and they have a free version and maybe never ever pay about it. And that's and that's great. But when it's time to consider upgrading, there's so much adoption because there's so many users who are already seeing value that when it bubbles up to the decision maker then it's a no-brainer for that person to cut a check. 
So, you know, all of these trends are really, really helping product managers to have, you know, more relevance in, in what they do. And ultimately, like the last thing is, is the visualization of these tools. If you remember when you started product in product, probably you're using PowerPoint for prototyping or a spreadsheet for a roadmap or maybe a Photoshop for creating designs. Now there's an entire new stack of tools specifically designed for product managers. And those I tools are very visual. My, my first program actually was a program called Visio. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's still around, but that was for um, information architecture and creating um, hierarchy charts and things like this. We actually use that a lot also for, for, for uh, wireframes. Totally. And, and I, I started the same way and I was using Dreamweaver to yeah. edit websites. And that was fairly, those are fairly technical products. Like that's why back in the day, most of the PMs would come from a technical background. Now these days, there's a lot of no code or visual tools that allow PMs build something and focus on adding value to the user in a less technical way. Well, what's so interesting about um, being a product-led company is that if you're a software company, your product is the customer experience. That's where it starts. Now, obviously, there are other things, there are other factors here like support and general community, general brand. But at the core of it, from a UX perspective, you know, software is where everything kind of starts. And as a software company, we think about this a lot. And in fact, what we think about specifically is how to make the product our best marketing vehicle, which means people are happy with your experience. They're telling their friends, they're promoting re referrals, they're using the product, they're boosting our social, uh, social coefficient, getting our viral loop, you know, activated. And it's, it's not easy, you know, but the fact that we can empower people to become marketers through user experience and through and through using the product as as marketers, I think that's one of the most empowering things. Um, my question for you is, how can we empower more people to want to evangelize our product or our service for that matter um, to be more of a product-led company? Totally, um, and that's a great point. I think what you said is basically that the, your product is your business card. It's not behind a paywall that you never see only until you, you actually swipe your credit card. So what you, your question around the, the product-led culture, it's, it's really a culture that goes beyond the product team. And hopefully it starts from the top. We're seeing more and more CEOs that care about product, that even come from a product background. And that's great because that validates everything that, that we believe in. Um, there's a lot of people who are building who don't have the product manager title. And I think that's great. And I don't think people should wait to get a promotion or a title in order to say, well, now I can build. You mentioned the marketing team. Marketers are builders. They have a lot of technology they can use to create landing pages, marketing collateral, get to the user directly. And the more people feel confident using this type of technology, and hopefully the more people in the organization understands what their product is all about, the better. Because at the end of the day, your company is becoming, your, your product is, is, really, is really your business card. Yeah. Now you actually have the future future of product management, with, which is an annual report that you do. And I think that this effort is, is really magnificent for a couple of reasons. Number one, first and foremost, because it's highly value oriented. Um, I want to share some of the pages in the PDF. And what I think is really interesting also, in addition to that, is that it's also a great um, content based uh, marketing approach, which is 
have people come to your website, have people gain interest in the report, enter their first name, their last name, their email, and then you get something, they get something. It's sort of a symbiotic relationship. It seems really fair to me. What has been the process? Uh, how has the process been for you in terms of promoting this annual report and then uh, taking it to market? And then, you know, what do you do with with the folks that that uh, fill out the form? Curious about that. Yeah, well, I treat it as a product. At the end of the day, anything, everything is a product. And this, this is treated the same way. So we wanted to do something that, as you said, is really valuable for as many people as possible. And, and I didn't want this to be the future of Carlos or the future of product according to Carlos. This is the future of product management according to the product managers. So we partner with eight product-led organizations, first of all. And then we actually surveyed over 1,500 product leaders. And we tried to stay as diverse as possible in terms of geography, levels of seniority, industries, just to really understand where the opportunities lay. And then consolidate all of this data and, pre and present it in a, in a non-biased way. At the end of the day, when you're, when you're reading a report as a user, you really want to learn, right? Like you're not here to, to buy a, a product or, or anything else. And that's the only expectation. We try to do it as agnostic as possible. And, and then the reality is that this changes. This is the third report we've created. It's just crazy how much impact there is. Like this is the first time we actually talked about product-led. Product-led wasn't really that mainstream two or three years ago. If you look at our first report, you could see that it was more weight on the, the technical skills. Now we're seeing how it's, it's migrating more towards the marketing and design skills. So it's actually something that is useful for us. Like I, I look at this report as a product person saying, well, what can I learn from this? Yeah. Well, that's an impressive effort. Um, it's just a testament to the importance of being a content company, being a media company, in addition to, in your case, a training company, a customer support company, a sales company. So um, shout out to you for doing that effort. I, I wish more people invested the time and money into creating reports, creating high value content like this to educate us and ultimately you know, build relationships. So very cool. And I, and I think, Ruben, this is in a way similar to what you're doing with the podcast and with other resources. You're really building a community and, and trying to involve other people in it. And we're all playing a long-term game, right? Like it's not about, oh, monetizing a podcast, monetizing a report. It's really building these connections and adding as much value as possible. Yeah, for me, at the end of the day, it's, it is all about the connections. It's all about the relationships. I feel like this, the podcast for me has been better than an MBA it's been better than going to an annual conference, uh, you know, weekly for an entire year. <laughs> it's been better than having uh, a fireside chat because I get to have this type of one-on-one -on -one time with um, brilliant people like yourself. And I learn a ton and I, I make a lot of great relationships in the process. And I think there is something about being the user of your own product. I understand it's not always possible in certain industries, but when you really, really love what you're building and you're actually doing it for yourself first and foremost, um, you know, you will always have product market fit. That's it. Now, another topic, another question that I have for you is one of the things that we do at Dub with improving our video communication platform is we have weekly UX meetings and everyone from the company is invited to those. And anyone can bring notes that they have on how to improve the product or how to improve the CX, the customer experience or the user experience. And what we try to do is we try to prioritize those suggestions, uh, you know, based on who asked, is it a paying client? What's the adoption of this? How often will it be used? 
but we always get through the entire list, um, if not immediately, eventually. And I'd like to ask you, how can we empower more people at Teams, whether it's a medium-sized business or even a large business? How can we empower more people to get involved in the development of the product, to have their voice be heard, to give them a forum to ultimately improve the product and the overall customer experience or user experience? That is a huge opportunity, especially as, as business gets bigger. Uh, it's a term called HIPPO, highest paid person in the organization. So when you have a HIPPO in a conference room, typically that's the person who speaks the most, influences others the most, and, and the goal should be to give the voice to, to the others, to really make the best ideas win and not just the HIPPO's idea win. So there are a few tactics that, that can help. For example, in our case, we have two. One is um, when we start this type of UX reviews, at the very beginning of the meeting, we all stay silent. We really make sure that everyone dumps their ideas and have time to really go through the different mockups or whatever we are reviewing and add comments in an unbiased way. This way, everyone has the opportunity to present the information. And we're not going to be interrupted by anybody while we do that. And then we start the discussion. And then at the end of the discussion, we always like to ask about um, how are you feeling about these areas? So, And everybody has the option to rate from one to five, a specific idea or, or in general, the meeting. And when you do that in a specific way, first of all, everyone has the chance to rate how they're feeling about something. And you cannot see what your boss <laughs> is saying about the same question. So at the end of the day, it's, it's the role of the, the facilitator or the PM, whoever is running this meeting, to consolidate all of this data. But I think there are certain tactics that you can use to make sure that all voices are heard. Very cool. I think you're so right. I think it, it is about giving people a voice, giving people a stage, because sometimes the best ideas, they come from our customers. Sometimes the best ideas come from the people that are selling the product or people that are supporting the people that are using the product. Um, even people that are a little bit distant from it that have uh, knowledge of competitor products or other similar products in the marketplace. So I think it's so important to be actively listening and to be actively promoting um, feedback like that so that we can ultimately all improve. So uh, great, great note there. Um, how can we learn more about you? How can we learn more about your organization? I would love to get some social handles here. Awesome. Well, over we, we built a community first and foremost. Uh, as you said, we are not a training company. We're a community with over 1 million members. Most of them are product people. And over 90% of our resources are free and available right now. So if anyone goes to productschool.com slash free, you can access everything. We do around 1,000 events per year, four conferences called ProductCon. We, pro, we, pro, we have to have a podcast with product leaders, we have uh, industry report, discussion forums, job board, and so many other resources for, for people who are interested in, in growing their product careers. Uh, I'm personally very active on social media. LinkedIn is my main channel. So if anyone wants to connect with me there, I obviously accept and I mean, interact with them both in public, but also I'm pretty active on, on direct messages. Very cool. And what is, what is your founding story of productschool.com. What was the process to get this launched and, and ultimately to, to build a community over a million people? That's very impressive. Tell me about that. This is a solution to my own problem. That's it. I started computer science and soon realized that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life coding. And unfortunately, nobody explained that I could leverage my technical background in a different way. So I went to ended up going to business school and I had the same problem 
business school wasn't really optimized for teaching people how to build products. And then ended up deciding to create a, a hybrid school, kind of in between an engineering and a business school that hopefully helps people build products and do it, does it in a much more efficient way. Because I don't, I, I believe in lifelong learning. I never understood why we are supposed to study full-time until our mid-20s and then work full-time until we die. Well, what if you can have it all, right? What if you can keep up with your job, with your family, with your friends, and also invest some of your time in, in, in personal development? That's a beautiful story. And and uh, what was the sort of kickoff? How did you acquire your first customers? Uh, did you, were you working? Did you have a full-time job while you were getting this started? Um, what was that launch off story for you? Oh, it's not fancy. I did everything myself in a very unscalable way. So I literally taught the, the first cohorts myself. I was the first instructor. I've been building products for 10 years. So I, but I learned really on the street. Business school and engineering school didn't teach me anything about digital products. So I put together the first curriculum. I started organizing some free events and then I created the first course. And then after one or two years doing absolutely everything myself, which was insane. And I wish I had delegated a little bit earlier. Then at that point, we started uh, involving other product leaders who are much more experienced than me as instructors. So if you look at instructors today, they're all active product leaders working at Airbnb, Netflix, Google, or Amazon. And then how, how does that structure work when you bring on trainers that work at some of these large companies? How does that work? Is there a compensation or do they do this just to kind of give back to the community? What does that look like? It's both. So it's very important for us that they keep their full-time jobs because there's something about being a practitioner and not just a teacher. Uh, but we also obviously compensate them for their time. Although to be fair, the main reason why they do it, I mean, they're they are well off at this point. We're talking about VPs or directors of really, really cool companies. Uh, they do it to, first to give back because they didn't have a product school when they were getting started. And they also are hiding in most cases. And they have an amazing opportunity to really engage with a small cohort of people who are really hungry. So they have first dips on them. Very cool. That makes total sense. Well, Carlos, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we encourage people to connect with you on LinkedIn. What is your username? How do people find you on LinkedIn? Well, my last name is complicated. So the easiest way is to type Carlos and then product school. But if you want to go for it, just type Carlos Gonzalez de Villa Umbrosia. Okay, very cool. So if you type in Carlos product school, uh, you're right there, right at the top. So that's, that's the easiest way to do it. In fact, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little nudge right here make sure I click the follow and button. And um, I wanted to just personally thank you, Carlos, for your time and uh, stick around for some production notes. And thanks again. Thank you.